Hi there, and welcome to Vox Talk, your weekly review from the world of voiceover. I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli from Voices. Just how hard is it to perform an accent? Returning to the Vox Talk studio is Toby Ricketts from the wilds of New Zealand. Toby was with us in an earlier episode discussing accents in general, and today we'll be taking a deeper dive into what it actually takes to perform an accent well with many helpful tips that you can use to better your performances. You could say this episode is all about the mechanics of accents. Welcome back to the show, Toby. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh my gosh, you've already put one on. <laughs> That's, you got your American accent just came right through. Exactly. I'm going to be kind of delving into a bunch of different accents today just to uh, keep everyone on their toes. Yeah. Oh, and they're a new one, a new one again. So as we all know, you are the master at accents in the world of voiceover. You seem to have this market cornered, if you don't mind me saying, so far as uh, just understanding from your own perspective what goes into accents, but also all the linguistic end of it. So Toby, while performing an accent is fun, as we know, many people want to perform these accents and, you know, they don't quite realize that perhaps there's a bit of a science behind it, not just the art, the fun part. So what role does technique play in the mechanics of performing an accent? Absolutely. Well, it's um, it's it's worth sort of starting off by saying, you know, accents, accent performance kind of happens on a spectrum. You know, we've all, we've all, I think everyone tries to put on an accent at some point and, and speak differently because, you know, it's the primary uh, mechanism that we use to communicate with all other humans, you know, is, is our voice. And, and it's fun to experiment with the control of that, you know, to, to, to put on accents or to pretend to be someone else. Or, uh, you know, there's a bunch of ways that we can, we can reshape our voices to kind of project a different person of ourselves or to just, you know, have fun at parties, for example. So with accents, I always like to think there's the sort of like the party end of the spectrum where, um, you know, you, you do a fun, I'm going to go to this party. I'm going to talk like an Irishman. Oh, listen to me. I can do accents. It's so fun. And, you know, and it's like... That's great at a party and everyone is very impressed. But if you try and do that to an Irish person, as an Irish person, they will be like, what are you doing? This is offensive. Um, so it's always like good to know where you stand in that spectrum, like right through to like being able to fool um, a native, like so they don't even know. You know, I'm always amazed when you see um, you see a movie or something with with a star who um, you maybe you're not familiar with and you assume that they're British or, or they're, you assume they're American. And um, then you see them in an interview and you're like, hang on, they didn't even, like, I didn't even know they were doing that. And there's some, you know, when they really nail the, the qualities of that accent and all of the, the hallmarks, your brain just completely gets fooled. And that's like at the other end. So as far as techniques go, I feel like there's two schools because I've, I've definitely heard people, you know, um, talking about how to learn accents. And um, they come from a more like mechanistic approach of like you've got to do the work. You sit down and you you've got to like you know, repeat and like train your brain how to do this accent and learn every one of these little hooks and every one of these techniques. And you do that enough times, just like driving a car, and then it becomes thoughtless. You can just sort of you know coast along and uh, and improv in that accent and everything. Like it's like a, a suit you put on. But like there's also this kind of intuitive way of learning accents where you kind of just get into the vibe of it and you. And, and you, you almost develop a character. Like, I, I kind of feel like my accents are kind of like characters um, where you just move sideways into a different way of talking. And then, you know, you start talking that accent and it just feels right. And then you listen back to the recordings and you say, oh, that didn't feel quite right. And so you sort of listen again and try it in a different manner. And that's the thing that you push into your sort of your subconscious and your motor cortex. So you're not really thinking about 
um, about what you're doing. So yeah, I feel like there are two those two different ways of doing it. One is very much focused on the details, and one's focused on the kind of broad, you know, feeling of the accent, where it sits in the mouth, etc. But they're not mutually exclusive. It's not like you have to choose one path. I think both have their merits, and it's more about how you learn best um, as to which path you sort of choose to go down. I like that idea of, you know, having an outfit that you put on. Like, as I said, oh, you've, you've already put one on. It's kind of like you, you had a ready-made just jump into this outfit of this is the American accent. This is my British accent. This is my and, – and I love the, also the idea of there being some kind of a character element because then you can do all kinds of neat things like, you know, to say, well, this is how this accent feels or this is this person. You can envision a character, right? Yeah. And, and that is a really powerful thing for those who like to visualize and just – kind of have that in their mind. Some of us just want to have a step-by-step, this is how it's done. And and it's great to have the feeling of it and to to kind of get that sense as well. Um, But just wondering, like, all all of it goes together. You know, I I think that those two that you spoke of, those two schools, they do intersect. You know, they might overlap a little more for some people than others or whatnot. Um, But it's so important to know from a technical standpoint, like, is this how I do that vowel with a New Zealand accent? Like, what should I be trying to do? And for someone like you, who who was largely for most of your life at this point had that accent, because I know you were born in the UK, but um, you've you've learned it. But now it's second nature to you. Like, mm. I don't know. Do you even think about how you make those shapes anymore? Not with the New Zealand accent. And it should be mentioned that the New Zealand accent is famously one of the most difficult to pick up because it's got, it goes all over the place and it's got these really strange sort of like flat vowels, like building and milk and like all these sort of like, you know, funny, like, oh, it's so sort of flat. And, and there's not many other accents that, that inhabit that kind of, that, that palette. Some parts of South African and some parts of like the Chicago accent. It's funny how like accents have these have these different links between them. But I think we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about that um, later on. Um, when you're learning a new accent, it will it feels like a new pair of shoes in that there's gonna be discomfort. There's gonna be parts that you that aren't right, and the more you wear them, the more you wear this accent, the more that's gonna come right. You know, as long as you're identifying where you know you're listening back and you're thinking, oh no, that didn't feel right, or like. As you get better, you can hear as you do it, oh, that didn't sound right. Um, so, like, when you start to just put accents on, you can hear, like, if if you don't hit a certain thing right, 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 you know, like, you can you can experiment <laughs> with all these different ways of putting the vowels. And, um, and in, in your own time, and the great thing about having home studios is that you can, you know, you can experiment and no one's listening except you. So if you get it wrong... Then you're the only one that's uh, that's that's hearing it. So I think it's a really safe place to uh, to to practice accents and then listen back and and be a hard critic and find find like a YouTube video or someone you want to imitate, and then like you just listen to their sample and then listen to your sample and think, what am I doing differently? Like read the same script as them. Um, sometimes get stuck in accents as well. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. kind of fun, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I things like mn- mnemonics, which can be really useful, which you mentioned before. But um, yeah, 
Wow. And you know what? I'll give you some great feedback. And for everyone who's listening, if you heard Toby's previous episode with us, I actually heard from someone who was like, that's a great idea. I'm going to get a buddy, you know, from overseas and I'm go- we're going to connect and I'm going to learn their accent, going to learn mine. So thank you for dropping those great uh, ideas for people. You know, I, I just sure. love that someone's already acted on it. That's great. Mm. Um, so as we're talking here, um, obviously you, you kind of talked a bit about this before, about a few accents that kind of play in the same, you know, playground, if you will. Um, but are there accents that use the same basic structure mechanically? And if so, what are they, or some of them, and how are they similar to each other? Absolutely. Well, you know, you find similarities in accents where there is a, a geographical similarity or there are there's lots of cross-pollination. Like, I mean, Canada and the U.S. is a great example, right? Um, you know, you've got, a, it, it's, a, it's, it's a very subtle shift between um, Canada and the U.S., um, so much so that, I mean, because America is so much larger, whenever I've, I've um, sort of come across people um, from North America, um, the, you, you say, oh, you're American and instantly. And then it's, it's not until you say like a boat or something that you're like, <laughs> oh, you're Canadian. Um, or there's a, probably a few more, more subtle markers than that, that, that. But that's the classic one, isn't it? A boat. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of like a mnemonic right into the Canadian accent because that's kind of one of those definitive hooks. Um, so, like, so, you know, the links are very similar between the U.S. and Canada. Um, and, and, and I mean, you know, we should mention that within accents, within like the American accent, whatever that means, there are all these, these subtle shifts. And you take, a, take one like, a, like, I mean, America are extreme examples, but, but mostly like the UK. If you look around the UK, everyone's speaking English. But if you listen to a very strong Scottish accent, it's almost not English. Like the accent's <laughs> yes. taken it so far over the edge that, you, that someone from like one end of the country from the South Coast almost can't understand like a strong Glaswegian accent um, because there's that distance, I think. And like as you go down, it gets more and more mild and it gets some more and more similar. So it's, it's always useful to look at where accents have come from and how they've spread and how, these, how they've kind of developed. Um, and I think you'll find that in any country that there's always going to be variation. It's going to be socioeconomic or it's going to be geographical or even, um, I mean, yeah, the class, like I said, socioeconomic. But there can be a number of factors that kind of mean that people split off into like, you know, because it comes your identity and it's your access to a certain sort of club, if you like. Mm-hmm. So you, you speak like the locals and you, you, you have access to all the things that locals get. Um, and so those who can like accent shift... Um, Potentially, maybe they have more, like, more power socially because they can they can code switch into different groups, uh, which I I, th- I think is fascinating. Wow, I was just thinking like being in the Netherlands and Holland, and you know, then going into Belgium, it's really mm. would be hard if they were all speaking English. It would be harder to know because it's the Germanic language, and then if you cross over to Germany, it's very similar ways of speaking. You know, the yeah. same emphasis, the same. So it makes sense that geographically, whoever you are closest to, there is. Possibly, because not all countries are like this, obviously, but there is likely some shared heritage of some kind, some like we were, I don't know, discovered the new world was discovered largely by this group of people and and they populated most of it up here in Canada, of course, um, you know, there's French and English as our two national official languages Mm. of the country. Um, But, you know, like it's, it's funny because... Like you go into Quebec and everyone sounds so different because it's not right. just the same. It's a different language in, I entirely, going, I was, you know. Actually, here's a question for you about living in Canada because I've always been fascinated about the, the dual, um, uh, dual languages there. Do you, people, um, do you come across people who sound almost Parisian? They're kind of like, hello, I am from Canada, but I only speak French. I don't speak English. Like, do you, is, that, is that common? From Quebec? 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because, but there are some people who only speak English in Quebec too, and they have enough French to get by. You know, like wow, there's, there's, yeah. you know, yeah. it doesn't have to, like the entire province is not just French speaking, although it is very francophone and mm. they have not a lot of resources for the English people there. Um, mm. Not as much anyway. The, but the whole country, the labeling system here, you might find this interesting, but all of our cereal boxes, cleaning products, whatever, it's in English and French. So whoever's doing the copywriting translation jobs, they, they like Canada because yeah. everything has to be, and especially government wow. um, communications, everything has to be in both official languages. Yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fascinating um, how, yeah, how, how that sort of coexisted and it hasn't become more sort of amalgamated, but I guess that's that barrier. Um, speaking of barriers, like we talked about gra- uh, geographical separation and I remember one of the biggest shocks um, I ever had accent-wise and language wise was when I was doing a tour of Europe and spent a lot of time in, in Italy and then um, took a night train um, and so you get used to this this lovely like we were in Italy it's all passionate and yeah. then um, crossing the Alps <laughs> on a night train and waking up in southern Germany and everything's I still caught you know it's a completely <laughs> yes. different mindset and it's like these yeah. people have never spoken together because there's this massive mountain range in the way that's very difficult to get over. So it's it's fascinating when you see these geographical boundaries and what that does to how people express themselves, like culturally and through their accents. Um, sometimes you get really strange links um, between accents. And one of my favorites is the link between the Welsh accent in the UK and mm. the West of England and Indian accents. Really? And it's such a oh. subtle shift. If you listen to a Welsh person... And they're all then the coal mine, and then you listen to some from India, and they're India, and it's it, the music about it is ah. very similar, um, even though they're they're vastly different in sort of where they're located. Um, there is this 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 profound similarity um, between the two accents, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, and another area is where you get like more of a subtle shift across continents, like. I've always, you know, living in New Zealand and Australia, it's really, really interesting because a lot of people can't tell New Zealand and Australian accents apart, except if you're from New Zealand or Australia and it's like daylight, you know, it's just absolutely, the differences are are amazing. But I feel like um, the Australians hang out on the vowel side more like the American vowels and New Zealanders hang out more like on the British side of the vowels. So there is this kind of interesting spectrum where you go from US to Australian to New Zealand and then into English um, like that. And like... One day, when I have enough time, um, I want to come up with like an accent color wheel. So you have all the different accents and then lines, you draw lines and put the small similar ones together and see how they link up through different vowels. I think that'd oh. be a fantastic, uh, fantastically interesting exercise, but uh, I've, I have yet to put a, some, a time um, aside to do it. Wow. Yeah. Well, whenever you do that, Toby, let us know and we'll be happy to share it. That's mm. really interesting. Wow. So I'm just thinking all the rhythms and, and the different um, feelings of a language can, mm. you know, be felt and seen. And and depending on geography, like if there's a huge mountain range in between you, maybe you don't share any of that, right? But mm. if it's a little like more lowland, a little easier to get across and maybe a bit uh, more cross-pollination, as you'd said before. Yeah. So um, as we're talking about this whole idea of like, you know, rhythm and speech and and the way that we form our words. Um, How does placement affect the execution of an accent? Because you could, you know, in your head, you you think you know what to do, but if you don't have the mechanical, the physiology side, you know, buttoned down, um, it might not come out sounding the way that you think it should. Yeah, potentially. I mean, it's worth um, remembering that, um, you know, every human is born being able to make the same noises, 
there's nothing actually physiological that separates people from one country to another. Like it, we've all got the same equipment, if you like. It's just the things that like our brain gets taught very early on what to take notice of and what to ignore. And the classic example of this is like in, in Japanese and some of the Asian languages where they don't hear a distinction between the L sound and the R sound. Um, so, um, so instead of like a little, they'd hear rittle. Rittle, and like, and they cannot hear a difference between those two, uh, those two things. And I remember they did a study uh, once where they took toddlers um, in Japan, and they um, they they played an R sound and an L sound, and they had to make a noise when they heard the switch between the R sound and the L sound. And at some stage, um, I think it was about four years old, they lost the ability to actually tell the difference when that vowel shift was happening. So it is purely a, like a psychological thing. We get used to the way we get we're used to talking and everything else kind of falls by the wayside. And I think but the like learning accents, one of the foundational things you have to do is to give yourself permission to make any sound possible. Like it's really a permissions thing because so many so many of us are afraid to do accents or speak differently or step out. And and it, it is really freeing to be able to say, I can make like absolutely any any sound I want, you know. And so it is unpicking some of that that, that old stuff that, that, that this is the way you talk. And if you were told off for speaking a certain way as a child or whatever, that, that can come into it. So placement like is it's it's great in two ways. Like um, it, it really helps in terms of forward and backwards um, where ac- certain accents sit. Um, there's a really good video on YouTube, which I encourage people to look up, which is by a, a YouTuber called Sara, S-A-A-R-A. And she does this video called What Accents Sound Like to Foreigners. And if you search for that, I'm sure you'll um, see it in the top results there. And she goes through and she is a polyglot. She speaks a, a bunch of different languages, but she goes through and and talk and, and speaks in these, these languages, speaks just random gobbledygook. It doesn't make any sense, which is clear when she comes to the English ones, because that's the language that we speak. Um, and um, you can hear the different attitudes and the different placement, where it comes from and what the body language is of these different kind of like uh, kind of stereotypes, but more like hooks into the accent of like what makes those accents tick. And uh, like the, the, the Slavic accents, they always sit like quite back in the mouth like this. It's almost like in the throat, uh, the, the classic uh, the Russian and the Eastern European accents. And, um, and so like just by shifting your tongue back, and uh, and and changing some of the thing in the front, you can you can have quite a good Slavic accent. Whereas like British, I always like to think has got it's kind of defined by the the two front teeth. You know, it's all very <laughs> wide and, and very precise like that. Um, and and so like you know by by playing around with where you imagine the sound coming from in your voice, even though it's still let's face it, you know, in your vocal cords, but just the psychology of like where it's placed in the mouth can be useful um, in in reproducing that accent. But also it's a great way to remember those accents. Like uh, when I start to talk about Australian, I just imagine it slipping back, you know, down to the beach and down to have a barbie on the beach or something. And uh, just suddenly you're in this, this, this nice uh, relaxed Australian, which is one of the kind of hallmarks of that accent. So, um, yeah, where, placement, I think, is, is, is useful for those two reasons in that it can help you reproduce an accent to start with, but also remember it, like putting on that pair of gloves or putting on that that suit, like it's like, oh, that's right, that's what this suit feels like, and then you just remember that feeling, and then you can, when you're good at it, you can just ad lib, and you can, you know, speak your mind through that accent, and you don't really have to think about every word that you're saying. Wow, I mm. love the idea of just like you put it back on, like it's like a glove that fits. Um, it's muscle memory at the end of the day, you know. Um, yeah. But that that's really cool, and I wonder if you're doing accents all the time. I wonder if if you like when you dream, you dream in a different accent. <laughs> 
It's do you ever do that? Yeah. No, I can't say I have done that. I feel like dreams almost transcend the accent. They're almost like thoughts, aren't they? But I do wonder whether people who speak different languages, you know, I feel, I feel like that's a hallmark of when you become fluent is when you start mm. dreaming in that accent because your, your subconscious is obviously taking notice as well. Right. Um, yeah, I've yeah. heard that too. Yeah. That's definitely yeah. something. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Like maybe mm. someone just write in if that's you, if you, if you speak multiple <laughs> languages and you find that you dream in different ones or ones that are other than the one you grew up with, your mother tongue, let us know. Um, very, very interesting, Toby. And I, I love mm. the whole, like when you talk about the Slavic accents, how, how the tongue is further back and just kind of how your throat will feel different probably. And, mm. and, and just getting your mind into that and, and using actions like the Italian one, like who you cannot do an Italian accent without using hands. Like, I don't care who you are. Like you, you better be <laughs> using your hands you know like capiche yep. you know um so, so i think that we need to remember that there's a lot of physicality that goes with the accent it is not just that the psychology although the psychology really helps you get to where you need to be so um as we're wrapping up this conversation which of course is always too short it's always too short when talking to you toby because you're just so knowledgeable um so what are some good ways that we can remember how to do these accents so do you have any tips maybe people keep a journal or, or uh, record themselves Absolutely, that's all part of it. Like to, to like deciding which accent you want to have a go at first um, is always kind of fun because you think like, well, what am I going to use this for? Like, why am I doing this? What is my motivation to do it? But like finding one that's like adjacent to your own one is is kind of useful because then it's a subtle shift. Although sometimes that can be the most difficult thing is just like making a big shift is kind of kind of easy because you're doing everything new, but it'll take longer. So find examples on YouTube. There's this great thing going around YouTube where it did a few years ago called Accent Tag. And you just write accent tag and then your language. And it's a bunch of like just real people from those countries um, doing their accent, reading the same set of like words and question and answers to questions in their own words, which gives you a really good sense of like of, of all of the uh, all of the different vowel sounds and consonants, etc. Or the, just the vibe of the accent. So that's the YouTube accent tag is really useful. Um, then I've, um, I've, the same as last time, actually, I've got for Vox uh, listeners, um, I've prepared a page on my website at tobyricketts.com slash Vox. Um, sorry, tobyricketsvoiceover.com slash Vox. And this includes lexical sets. And what these are is this amazing um, set of vowel words. So, for example, you've got the kit vowel. So that's the I sound. And it's got a bunch of different, like, words that use that sound. So sick, myth, busy. And then the dress vowel, which is step, neck, edge, shelf, friend, ready. And then when you switch into an accent, um, like if I go, I'll just go into my US one again, trap, tap, back, badge, scalp, hand, cancel. And so you can start to feel how it works in different words. And then, you know, you can, the good thing about having a consistent um, set of words to practice on is that you can see what your progress is like as well. You can see how you improve over the uh, the time that you're trying to learn this accent. So download the, the, these resources. The lexical sets are fantastic. And there's also a download there which is called um, Scripts for Accent Practice. And it's just a script that covers all the vowel sounds. So I had John fix the car. I had my hair cut. The teacher made the students work in groups. And and this is really handy for, uh, for, for, for like covering a bunch of different accents. I had John fix the car. I had my hair cut. The teacher made the students work in groups. Like, you know, you can really pick up what's different about those two accents and, and just start to practice with it. Um, recording yourself is really important. Like, it's the only way you can, you can get better on, like by yourself because when you're doing something, it's very hard to, to direct yourself or to listen at the same time as you're doing. So I'd encourage you to just open up your, your audio system, 
make a new file and just just talk in the accent for like 10 minutes and, and then listen back and think, you know, is this good? Listen to those YouTube accent tags and think, am I getting closer? Am I getting further away? Um, and you can get a long way just by doing that, getting some, some accent feedback. Um, get forensic on the accent. Instead of start trying to do 10 minutes of talking or something, choose like literally one sentence. T- take like, um, um, he got the mechanic to repair the machine. And then try it like again and again and just think he got the mechanic to repair the machine and go through word by word and really start to like like um, nut it out and see how that feels and then listen back of course. Consulting a pro or a mentor is really good. Like at Gravy for the Brain, we have forums where you can go and post recordings and get feedback from like pros on like, is this a good accent? Is any is there anyone here from Brazil that thinks this is a good Portuguese accent or something? Um, so allow you to like reach out and and find people who are in the know. As we said in the last episode, find a voice buddy. Try and find like on a, on a voiceover forum somewhere, try and find someone who is from the place you want the accent from and maybe they want to learn your accent. Um, like British and American is always a kind of a good swap because there's quite a lot of ties between those two those two countries and the same for sort of Canada and uh, New Zealand, Australia perhaps, but uh, put it out there and see if there's anyone who you can buddy up with. Um, and then like when you want to start stress testing your accent, and this is the, this is the fun bit, <laughs> is like, you know, Go to a bar across town or something where you won't be known and just put on the accent. Just walk in and you're like, today I'm American. Oh, hi there, guys. I've just arrived. Um, what's, you know, what, what drinks do you have here? And like, I mean, this is acting. Like you have, to, you have to inhabit that character. And there's nothing like a bit of social pressure to just push that learning right into, you know. And, and, and I feel like that's why I adopted a New Zealand accent so quickly when I came to New Zealand because I was in... Uh, like the start of high school, like the first year of high school. So the social pressure there is enormous. It's like you have to conform um, because, you know, otherwise you're like the odd one out. So there was this immense social pressure. And you can apply the same thing in adulthood by just going out among other adults and doing something different that only you know is not your usual way of doing it. So that's a very fun experience is to try and not break character. And the great thing about that is like if you do stuff up, A, no one's going to notice because... People have all kinds of accents from all over the world. Like, you know, you meet people that have lived one place but have this accent and it's all a bit mixed up. Um, so it, it's not that you'll get found out necessarily. And if you do, it's kind of an interesting story and people will like it. So, yeah, that's my, that's my challenge to everyone. <laughs> people say, wait a minute, all this time you've actually been so-and-so who, you know, oh, that is hilarious. Yeah. Great tips as always and wonderful suggestions for people to, to I love the idea of the stress testing it because then you'll you'll know if the proof is in the pudding if you can fool mm. the locals, right? So yeah. wonderful. All that's amazing. Well, thank you again, Toby, for sharing all of this with us and and we'll be sure to to, um, send you any feedback we get from the show from people who are telling us what they're doing with what you've shared fantastic absolutely i talked to one of the world's um foremost accent experts amy walker actually um who who has a lot of great tips in my um, podcast vo life which is on youtube and spotify um so people can tune into that it's the most recent episode there was just uh, the other week that we had a chat which is really good and also a really good resource is um eric singer he does a um, some stuff for Wired on YouTube, and it's really worth looking up that um, because he is an absolute expert in terms of picking apart accents and telling you, you know, what, what's what with accents. So it's very inspiring to go and check out that stuff. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Toby. Uh, we'll be sure to see you sometime soon. Fantastic. Thanks. All right. And that's the way we saw the world through the lens of voiceover and accents this week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Vox Talk. We had Toby Ricketts here, just a wealth of information all the time. Just go listen to the other episode too featuring Toby. Go check out the resources that he mentioned. 
Um, I'm going to have to check out the episode of uh, Toby's podcast with Amy Walker because I'm now I'm really intrigued. Uh, for Vox Talk, I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. We have Jeff Bremner as our producer. Everyone at Voices.com wishes you all the best, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.